Would you open God's precious holy word to 1 Peter chapter 5? We've come to chapter 5 and we're in verses 1 through 4 today. I look a little scruffy. I don't care. But Pat has me working in character for what we're going to do October 29th. Am I right? Thank you. Okay. It'll be, it'll be wonderful. You won't want to miss it. The elders among you. Peter now has been admonishing, exhorting, teaching, comforting, instructing the saints in general who have been displaced out from Rome and out to the eastern part of the Roman Empire because of the perception, the false perception that has been created by Nero especially, but by others, regarding Christians and Christianity in the church, this pocket of Christians, wherever they are, generally speaking, are despised by the Romans around them. And so Peter has been telling them by the Holy Spirit in First Peter how to live, how to present themselves, how to behave themselves. The gospel will be spoken through your lives, not just what you say, but what they see in a Christian's way of living, in your behavior. Now he has come to address the elders who are among them in those various pockets of saints in, in Asia, Bithynia, and Galatia, these other places that he mentions in 1 Peter 1. The elders among you. He's giving instruction now to those who are the pastors of the people. First of all, consider the address. Elders. You see that first Greek word up there? Presbyterus. Elders. It's in plural. Because in the New Testament, when it comes to governance, elders govern. It's a plural thing. By the divine design of the Holy Spirit of God in the structure of the church in the New Testament, the church doesn't have an overlord for governance and everything that has structure has to be governed. I mean, it has, there has to be administration, there has to be organization and that's not left out in the teaching of the, of the New Testament. But those who are in who are responsible for governance are the elders, plural. I have the S up there in, in red, highlighted in red, and you'll notice that uh, in the, I'm going to up some sigma in the, in the ending of the word, it's plural. Elders among you who are with you. So Peter is addressing the elders. Let's talk about that word. It comes from the singular presbyter. Us. It's, uh, 
It speaks of a, a person who is in a senior position, generally related to men who are senior men, thus they're elders, they're older. In uh, later Greek language, it came to mean men who were senior officials to the king and for the king who served as ambassadors for the king. They were, they understood the king, they understood his policy, they had been in his presence, they, they had, uh, they paid attention, attention to his laws and so forth and when, they came, when the time came and he trusted them, he would send them to another land, another kingdom and they would represent the king. They were on business for the king. That's what it came to mean, especially in the Byzantine time. In the Koine Greek, it means, it, of course, it grows out of what was in the Old Testament, an elder, the, the senior official who has, through his life, gained knowledge, experience, and finally the trust of the people because he has applied his wisdom to the things of the Lord. And the things of the Lord have been primary to him. It's a priority in his life to understand that he is to be a, be a, a friend of the king, if you will. He is to represent the king. That's what the word means. And it came to be a word that the Holy Spirit uses. And it's not just used here, as you well know. I mean, there's a there's a, there's a chapter in Timothy about the qualification of elders and there are other places that mentions, that mention elders. But here in Peter, he says elders among you, it's understood that these Christians had leaders. They had men who guided them and led them and served in governance and administration over them. They had various qualities expected of them, not the least of which among the group of elders would be at least one who would be a teaching elder. But it included administration and governance as well. We'll talk about that as we go through because there's a, there's a and it's more than just one place that these three words are used synonymously. The first word that we look at is the word elder, among you. So he gives the address and then he gives the endorsement. I exhort who am a fellow elder. So look what he says. He says three things about himself in identifying with them. Now this is the great apostle, Peter. Everybody knew that uh, he emerged in post-ascension time as obviously the, the leader of the disciples, generally speaking. So Peter who is serving in Rome says to them, I'm the same thing that you are. I'm a fellow elder. I'm here. You are there, but I'm serving in a position of responsibility here as you are there. But then he adds something to it. He says, I'm also a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now this takes him into the domain of apostleship. He is an elder, but he's also an apostle. The apostles, Christ uh, speaks of them 
and uh, or speaks of how he's going to leave the Holy Spirit for the apostles to be led in, in their teaching and their writing and so forth. And this is what Christ teaches in John's gospel about apostleship. Now, when we study the rest of the New Testament, if you'll excuse me, falling leaves are not my friend. He also, uh, the Bible, the New Testament also expands that truth into how, especially the book of Acts, the church is studying the teaching of the apostles. So the apostles, via the Holy Spirit sent by Christ, also in the personal presence of Christ in his life before he's crucified, resurrected, and ascended, received his teaching, and then they were there on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and their hearts were filled, their minds, and, and the Holy Spirit opens their minds to everything. And during those days before his ascension, <laughs> the, uh, excuse me, the Bible says that Christ in Luke, in the latter part of Luke, that Christ, before he ascended, walked with them for those many days and he opened their minds regarding the teaching of the scriptures concerning himself. One of the, and really the, the, the main uh, prerequisite for apostleship was to have seen the risen Christ personally before he ascended into heaven. So Peter assumes this position. <clears throat> he condescends to the sense that he says, I'm a fellow, a fellow elder. I understand the challenges of the local church. Now they were particularly challenged here because the world becomes predatory against the church. The, the world is convinced that the church was responsible for setting Rome on fire. According to what Nero was telling everybody, that the church is, is, uh, uh, the church is filled with a bunch of crazy people who want everybody to eat, to eat flesh and drink blood. That's what they were telling everybody, that these, these Christians were cannibalistic and they were crazy. Of course, that's just their presence and how they lived would be a, a statement against that. And that's why Peter says so much to the Christians early on in 1 Peter that we've been studying but here now, the Bible teaches concerning uh, the church, the elders govern the church. Peter assumes that position, stating his responsibility. He has responsibilities over a local church. But then he says, I'm also an apostle. Now, that meant that he was the boss. Now, there are no apostles today. They're all gone. But in that day, there were apostles there was an apostolic foundation, apostolic teaching, the doctrine of the apostles, that is, as it is mentioned in early in the book of Acts. This is what sets the foundation of the church. And this, of course, is what finally completes the canon of Scripture uh, in the New Testament, the teaching, the doctrine of the apostles. So then he says to them, secondly, he is a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Then he brings it all together in the third thing that he says. He says, I'm also a partaker of the glory that is about to be revealed. About to be revealed. The apocalypse. Uh, that's 
that's sort of what the word is up there. stay. Okay, uncovering, unveiling, pulling back the, uh, the curtain. So when he says that, he says, I'm also going to be there in the revealed glory in the second coming of Christ. And he's saying to the elders, we're all going to be there. And this is something that we all want to keep our, our, our flocks, our people. We want to keep them focused on the truth that Christ is coming in glory someday. Peter says, I'm going to be there. So I'm a fellow elder. I serve like you do. However, I'm an apostle. I have a particular position of authority that belongs to the apostles. And then finally, I'm going to partake in the same thing that you're going to partake of in the glorious day that is yet to come. Peter didn't know this at that time, but what Christ does in, in giving the revelation to John on the Isle of Patmos is he designates how the foundation stones are to be of the New Jerusalem are to be named after the 12 apostles. Peter couldn't have known that then. But Peter takes joy in knowing that all of them are going to partake in the glory, the second coming glory of Christ that is about to be revealed. So this is his, this is his endorsement of the message, endorsement of himself and endorsement of them. We're all in this together. Peter says, I understand where you are. That brings us to the third thing. And the second of three words that we should take note of. The third thing is the command. Now this, this uh, to shepherd, that's in the verb form and it's an imperative. In other words, when Peter gives it in the original Greek text, it is a command. It is a word of command to those who are elders. Shepherd the flock of God among you. Now, poimen is a root word of that, which means uh, pastor. So elder and pastor, those words are synonymous. Here, the noun form is used, elders, and then the verb form of their action to shepherd or to pastor is used secondly uh, and the verb is connected to the subject, so they are the same thing. An elder and a pastor, same office, synonymous whenever you see those terms uh, in the New Testament. Now, here's the third word that's also used in a verb form, exercising oversight. Epis uh, I'm sorry, Okay, upon, to scope, to see, to look. Epi, upon, scopos, to look, to see, to oversee. To look over, to oversee, to look upon. That word is translated bishop. So it's a verb form of the word bishop. So what do we learn here? We learn that elder, pastor, and bishop are the same office. When you see it in the, in the Bible, it's the same thing. In this context, two of those three words are used in a verb form, but they're used connected to the subject, which is, which is the elder. So here's what he says to them. First of all, shepherd the flock of God among you. Now that implies that we are sheep. 
Sheep cannot do anything by themselves. This is really kind of a comfort to me. I've, through the years as a pastor, I've done a lot of studies about shepherd and sheep and, and sheep. I don't, I've never raised a flock of sheep. I've just read about them. I've been around them. They are prone to wander. They just kind of follow their nose. They have, to some, they have to have someone to lead them. And they have to have someone to bring them back when they've wandered. That they will wander is not a question. It's going to happen. So they have to be brought back. Number two, they can't feed themselves. They have to be fed. They have to be fed by someone who knows what they need. For the elder, um, programming things, that's, that's, that's not the primary that's not the primary purpose of the shepherd for his sheep. Written into that word is to feed them with administration. In other words, take them to the food that they need or they're going to go the wrong place. Take them where they need to be so that they will eat what they need to eat. They don't have enough sense to feed themselves. They have to be fed This comes from the shepherd, the one who feeds them, who shepherds them, who pastors them. It's a a pastoral thing. It's a thing of the pasture and, and the flock in the pasture. Make sure that they're in the right places. Make sure that they're in the places that comfort them and don't scare them. They're easily scared. They're afraid, for example, they're afraid of the sound of running water. You have to take them to still waters because they'll run like crazy. Their natural instinct is that the water will soak up into their wool and that they will be bogged down and then finally collapse and drown in just a low, narrow place of water, shallow place of water. So you have to take care. And then when you recognize the fact that they have fed here to the point that they can't really feed anymore, you have to carry them to the next place so that they feed in the next place. And sometimes going from point A to point B means that you may have to take them because you have to take them in the short way so that they don't starve and they don't, they're not stressed out. Sheep are easily stressed and easily depressed. How about that? Well, no wonder I feel so bad all the time. I'm a Christian. Nah, you need to be the joy of the Lord as a Christian. But if the shepherd is not there, they're afraid of everything, everything. So he, sometimes he has to take them. And there's actually a place, the Valley of Death, it's mentioned in the 23rd Psalm, the Vatikelt. It's, it's a narrow place. It's, a, it's the shortest place to go from, from one seasonal grazing to another. It's the shortest route. And so all the shepherds use it and it reeks of the odor of sheep which draws wolves and jackals and bears just so they can hide in the rocks and wait for a juicy meal. Also, it draws thieves, evil shepherds, because sheep in that culture are money. They produce wool and and wool has value. So then the shepherd also has to be prepared to defend his flock. In the 23rd Psalm, 
his rod, his staff. In the case of David, a sling and a rock. He has weapons. He knows how to use them. And he will defend his flock. And David bragged about it, you know, when he was saying how he was going to go face Goliath. He said, look, I faced a bear. I faced wild animals who couldn't be, who couldn't, Goliath can't be any worse than some of these wild animals I faced. So the shepherd has to be prepared to feed, protect, defend. They can't even heal themselves. They get a little nick or something. They don't know what to do with it. So he has to anoint them with oil. He has to carry this stuff around so that he's prepared to uh, bring them into healing as well. All of these, I mean, sheep, sheep just are nothing without a shepherd. They need a shepherd. So here he says, (coughs) I beg your pardon, (coughs) this flock of God among you. Whose flock is it? We're looking at the great over shepherd, the flock of God. It's not, I'm an under shepherd. I have a charge. You see those in your charge. I have a charge, but they're not my flock. They're the flock of God. And he has given me charge over a particular part of them. An under shepherd, some have called it. The great, over, the, the, great, the great chief shepherd, of course, is the Lord. So he says, you pass to the flock and you bishop the flock, if you want to use the verb form, but not under compulsion. Willingly, however, according to God. I'll tell you about elders and who, who are the same as pastors and bishops. Here, the flock of God, exercising oversight, not under compulsion. There is a real danger for the pastor to feel intimidated into doing things that are outside the purview, that are, that, are, that are away from really what he's supposed to do. He feels, sometimes he feels like he is a head coach of an SEC football team. If we don't win the conference, I'm in trouble. And the bigger the church is, if we don't win the national championship, I'm in trouble. On a lower scale, I can't be expected to do everything, but if we don't beat such and such a team, I'm in trouble. Pastors can get into that, get bogged down in that. They get into a numbers game. Uh, they get into a personality game. They, they, they make themselves the center of their universe, and it becomes all about them. I'm going to fail if we don't have more people than the people down the road. If we don't baptize more than everybody in the association, yada, yada, yada. I've been there. And I've been spanked because of it. I can tell you that. Here, the shepherd is not to exercise oversight under any kind of stress, intimidation, or compulsion. What's he supposed to do? He's supposed to feed the flock. He's not... He's not supposed to bring some kind of interesting program 
and sit all, imagine this, here's a bunch of sheep and the pastor is on stage with his slides and he's saying, now sheep, and they're starving to death, they're wanting something to eat. But instead of feeding them, he says, now sheep, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this and we're going to do that and we're going to do the other and we're going to organize ourselves for this, organize ourselves for that. There's nothing wrong with organization as the Holy Spirit leads us within the parameters of the New Testament. Sheep, basically, whether they realize it or not, are not interested in what the guy says on his slides. They're needing to be fed. They need something that they cannot provide for themselves. And they need it. This will nurture them. This will make them happy. This will give them a blessing. So then, other things may grow out of that as the Lord sees fit. But the command is here to shepherd. To gather them, take care of them, and make sure that they are fed and fed properly. But don't feel stressed out and don't feel intimidated while doing it. Doing it in the Lord. Follow the path, pastor, self, me. Follow the path that gives you the peace of the Lord. Not something that keeps you struggling and wondering. I'll tell you this from personal experience. Outside of that command, a pastor tries to create other things so that attention is brought to his church or even to himself. And it seems to collapse and to fail and, and all kind of things go wrong. One of the first things he thinks about doing is jumping ship like Jonah. I'm getting out of here. I have happy news about that. If God has called the man into the service, there's no second option. You understand what I'm saying? When I first started preaching, and then I was struggling with leaving a family business that was very successful, and going into full-time pastoral work, I was talking to my father in the ministry, Dr. Cobb. I said, how can I know these things? What can I do? He, along with uh, Hudson uh, Baggett, who used to be the editor of the Alabama Baptist, were fathers in the ministry. This was their advice. We were sitting at a table. You should go and do anything but pastor a church. Anything. And if you can't do anything else, then you belong in the pastorate. But my first advice to you is don't do it. Do something else. Do something else. It never worked for me. 
It never worked. There is no second choice for the elder who shepherds the flock and exercises the oversight when he's not under compulsion. He's just under the will of God, but willingly according to God. There it is. According to God. I've told you about the guy. You know, I grew up in Gadsden and um, Goodyear, the Goodyear plant pretty much controlled in those days, controlled the economy of Gadsden. And the labor union was very strong. And every couple of three years, there was always the threat and then the fulfillment of the threat of a, of a big strike. And, and these guys were compelled to go on strike or in the labor union and they had to watch what they spent. They had to watch what they did. It was just, they, you know, it was just a different world when they were on strike. And I remember the guy who said, well, I can always go back to preaching. May I say to you, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> according to God, look at this. Willingly, according to God, not for dishonest gain, but with eagerness, not exercising lordship over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. I, mean, I gotta go quickly, I'm out of time. Let me go up here to this word, exercising lordship. It's one, two, three, four lines down, word on the left. Kata curiuntes. Kata means down in the Greek text. Curia means, comes from kurios, which means to be lordly or dominant. So we're not, we're not to be dominant so as to look down on other people, to be the Lord or to overlord, to be the Lord over people. When I first started preaching, my daddy said, son, you draw a circle around the pulpit and you tell everybody this is my space and it's off limit. I don't care what you do out there. <laughs> you can paint the walls, whatever color you want to paint them. Do whatever you want to do, but this space is mine. That's because God has appointed some as teaching elders. Bible, Bible says that. Even so, there is no lordship over those who are in your charge. Therefore, you'd have been an example to the flock. Let me quickly end this. Number four, there is a reward of ministry. When the chief shepherd is revealed, when you can see him, that's what that word, when that, that's what that word uh, means. When the chief shepherd uh, appears, when he is revealed, uh, it's to see, to make visible. When the chief shepherd is revealed, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. There is a specific crown for those elders. We will have to wait to the judgment seat of Christ to see whether or not I was for real or any other elder is for real. You have to wait till then, I will too. To see if this specific and particular unfading crown of glory 
is given and given to whom? To sum all of this up. In that day, in that place, even today, especially today, there were predators who were seeking out the flock of God, the saints of God, to damage them, to destroy them, to take away their pasture, their clean water, to to take away their health, to disperse them, to steal them away from the flock of God, the, the, the local flock of God, to mistreat them, to give them food that is poison to them, that cannot be helpful to them. Peter calls out the elders and says to them, feed this flock, guard them like a good shepherd, give oversight to all that goes on, assume this personal responsibility that this flock over whom you've given charge is taken care of in the way that God would have you to do it. It's a, it's an, if, for those who are the called into that, it is a wonderful charge. It is a glorious ministry. It is a relentless ministry. It is one that cannot stop that goes on and on and on to teach the people about the days in which we live, about what might be taught somewhere and how it meets the litmus test of scripture itself. I still get emails and texts from former church members. Pastor, what about this? Pastor, I heard this, what do you think? I just, I don't give them my opinion, I say, well, This draws to my attention certain scriptures, so let's look at it. You look at it. I'll tell you what I think. Here's what it says. And we'll extract from the original text the key words and then go from there and see if it balances out. This is what what we do to keep our people strong in the faith, able to stand against the predators of the day. Well, I'm going to have to stop there. Let's... uh, bow our heads, close our eyes, we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer.